Hello and welcome to The Roadmap, a technology law podcast recorded in London by Bristow's. My name is Annika Pohl and I'm an associate in the commercial technology team at Bristow's. Today we will be discussing innovative ways to structure a digital transformation deal. We will be exploring this topic with a dynamic trio of experts from both Bristow's corporate team and commercial technology team. We're very fortunate to have Louise Aldridge with us today. Lou is a partner in the corporate team who acts for a wide variety of clients, from tech companies to large corporates and banks. Welcome, Lou, to The Roadmap. Hi, Annika. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. We're also excited to have an associate from our corporate team, Drishi B. Harry. Drishi and I have worked together on a number of deals recently. Hey, Drishi. Thanks for joining us today. Hey there. Thanks for having me. The third member of our trio of experts is a man that some of our regular listeners may be familiar with, Vic Karana, who's a partner in our commercial technology team. Vic, it's always a privilege to hear your insights. Thanks for being here with us today. Thanks, Elika. Hi, everyone. Kicking off a digital transformation deal is always a period of excitement and slight trepidation. There are a number of different types of ways to structure the deal and each have their own inherent risks and rewards. The spectrum of options range from corporate activity to joint ventures to collaboration agreements, spin-outs and licensing arrangements. The best fit will depend on the nature of the opportunity and business objectives. In particular, we see with our clients that there are some innovative ways to structure the digital transformation deal. Often our clients choose to adopt an innovative structure, not just for the sake of it, but because doing so they can generate revenue from activities that may otherwise be a cost for the business. Often these models are entrepreneurial and solve more than discrete issues. In particular, we're increasingly seeing non-tech companies harnessing the concepts of scalability and knowledge sharing to produce something that is valuable and innovative. To start our discussion today, Drishi and I will do a whip through the four key deal structures that we anticipate you may first consider when thinking about how to structure a digital transformation deal. Then Lou and Vic will chat about two recent deals where our clients have adopted innovative models with big windfalls for the businesses. So Drishi, what are some of the more well-known models? Well, if you want the business to continue running as at day one, then a share purchase will probably be a good option. With a share purchase, all contracts, including important supplier contracts for the maintenance and support of the technology, move with the target. This is particularly important where there are valuable contracts and it is difficult to replace access to certain goods and services related to the tech. This also means that the tech doesn't need to be built from scratch. A purchaser can just buy into it, usually in the form of a controlling interest, and continue to commercialize the tech. There's also no need to deal with any transitional services or additional infrastructure or concerns to keep the business operating. And a share purchase would usually include acquiring the goodwill and reputation attached to the company. This is really important, particularly where the tech is up and coming, because having a strong existing brand behind it could be extremely valuable. Alongside the brand value, the key employees with the knowledge and expertise to run the tech are also more likely to stay as there's no change to the employing entity. This is really important if the founder is still connected to the company, or for example, the target has in-house software developers and experts who know the tech really well. I think the key things to watch out for, though, um, are firstly, to ensure that the diligence captures all of the key issues that can crop up in a share purchase, including liabilities, especially where there's disputes over ownership or use of the tech, which can potentially devalue the company. And also just identifying the key contracts and restrictions on a transfer. So a change of control on the target is a common one. 
This may even offer termination right, which if triggered may in turn affect the use of the tech or the audience base of it. Drishi, I know that you're really experienced in structuring deals. What is another option that our listeners may be interested in? Great question. In the scenario I mentioned before, if you spotted the tech and wanted to do a digital transformation project, whereby, say, you were interested in commercializing it in a different way yourself, an asset purchase may work better. Here, you can cherry pick the assets you want. But the important thing to note here is to make sure that the right infrastructure to maintain the tech is available whether that's through transitional services with the seller or a provision made by the buyer. The other point worth mentioning here is that valuable contracts related to the tech, for example, key suppliers or customers, need to be novated across to the buyer. This process requires the consent of the supplier or customer in question. So there is potential for termination or renegotiation of the contract. But alongside M&A, there is a further option, which our listeners may be familiar with, that is joint ventures. So let's say, for example, a company has a piece of tech that works really well, but that they'd like to do a bit more with, so undertake a digital transformation project. One of the simplest way to do this is to join up with another partner who has a platform that that company can leverage on. So in combining resources and know-how, Both companies can greatly benefit from each other in either tapping into new markets, providing a more robust offering, or just expanding the potential use or audience of that piece of tech. And joint ventures particularly are favoured where the project is focused and is discreet, and can be quite a flexible model for operation. The one thing I would actually flag here, though, is that it's important that both parties are aligned in their thinking, culture, their approach to the joint venture, which then translates into agreement on key terms such as profit sharing, liability, resource allocation and responsibilities. And particularly given the fast moving nature of technology, it's really important to have a forward thinking approach. As the technology evolves, grows and expands, this is just to cater for potential changes in relationship or expectations between the parties. And whilst this may be a challenge to factor into the present day negotiation, if not considered, can actually lead to a breakdown in relationships quite quickly, which may have significant implications for the joint venture. That's super interesting. I think the fourth model, at least from our perspective in the commercial technology team, is licensing agreements. So something that our listeners may be familiar with are these licensing agreements, which grant a company a right to use something in a very specific way. An example of that is that Bristow's recently acted for Oxford University on the AstraZeneca and Oxford licensing agreement to develop the COVID-19 vaccination. Some of the pros of licensing agreements are that you can leverage technology or products that are created by others. You can also structure the deal to manage the payments so you could perhaps have a small upfront cost. Then if you get a viable product that can be commercialized, then royalties may be payable later. They're relatively simple to pay for. So unlike some of the options that you mentioned, Drishi, we don't necessarily need to do a full DD on the company. And you also don't take on the historic liabilities of the company. Some of the pitfalls of licensing agreements are that you really need to make sure that the terms are clear. So the restrictions on the use, territory, the term, and very importantly, you need to make sure that your license is sufficiently broad to give you the rights that you need, including commercialization rights. 
Uh, Lou and Vic, something that we're increasingly seeing, though, are our clients moving away from these models that Joshi and I have been talking about. And they're looking for more innovative ways to maximize the commercial value of the technology and the products. And sometimes we're even seeing a mix of these different types of deal structures. What are some of the things that you're seeing in the market? What are some of the innovative ways that you're seeing our clients do this? That's so true, isn't it, Vic? I mean, we've seen quite a lot in recent years where clients are kind of moving away from the more traditional kind of vanilla, I guess, models of how do you look at digital transformation. And traditionally, it was often a case of, you know, buying in, as Trishy talked about, those different ways of sort of buying in the tech or buying in the product um, or the team, you know, but or both. We've seen some, I guess, more entrepreneurial models used from from clients in recent years where they're not just looking at solving a problem, but perhaps looking at being a bit more ambitious about what they want to get out of that digital transformation. So something that might, you know, produce a revenue stream, for example, going forward as well, once they've dealt with their own sort of internal digital transformation needs. Vic, you had quite an interesting deal recently, didn't you? That was, again, one of these sort of more innovative um, models. There's been a few recently, as you say, Lou, and they tend to be, just as you say, when we're maybe acting for a non-technology business and they've got some opportunity to partner with a tech products business or something. And as you say, they've probably considered some of those kind of more traditional models, but they probably realise that for their sector or industry, there is a wider problem, as you say, to solve yeah. and potentially a big market opportunity for them to kind of exploit. So two or three of them we've done recently, they've actually interestingly tended to be in the kind of ESG, sustainability or climate sort of goals sort of space where every sector's got its own challenges. They've all given net zero commitments or there's regulation coming down the pipe that will require the whole industry to do something. The partnerships have been designed to implement some tech platform solution that would help that business comply uh, or meet its goals. But actually, the more interesting, innovative bit comes from actually putting something out there in the marketplace. So a deal we did recently for a firm of management consultants that had got some really good know-how and data about how financial products can comply with climate change goals, who partnered with a tech arm of an asset management company to try and gain a wider audience for the products it's developing so in terms of the legal work there is potentially some asset acquisition involved and some licensing and collaboration and then a development a joint development project to take something to market with then a go-to-market wrapper around it where they actually agree the guardrails of how they're going to work together, maybe do a revenue share, go after certain bits of the market to sort of sell that product on sort of subscription sort of basis. So suddenly they've met some challenge they got internally, mm. use something really creatively and innovatively with the data and the know-how that's only been able to be scaled up through the tech sort of partnership. It's interesting, isn't it? Because that really is, it's its a different way of approaching digital transformation, as we've seen, we've um, sort of talked about. It's that, how do we fix a bigger problem out there for the market? There can be issues with that, can't there, in terms of, uh, and I know I've seen that on a, a recent transaction, difficulties with trust in terms of those sort of projects where you're collaborating with others as well. Uh, and you see companies often in the same sector and there's some tension about, you know, who's putting what data and information into the market or into the mix. 
Yeah, I think that's right. Because a lot of these sort of platform solutions work best when there's large amounts of aggregated data from all the players in the mix. So it sometimes sort of, uh, you know, people, they so sign up to use it in the market would have to give up their data themselves. But there's some tension there. If you've got some competitive entity to those companies who've actually in- invested and set this thing up, how does that work from a confidentiality perspective or access to kind of competitive advantage? I think what's what we've seen work well is where the tech business who's got the know-how to scale these products out sort of fronts it and right. is the thing in the market where people sort of sign up to and you've got the kind of industry player in the background saying, look, we've, we, we believe in this thing and we've invested in it too, but we're, we're, we're governed by the same rules about data sharing as any other sort of participant um, in the mix. Uh, and you're right, there, there, there's other issues with it too. It does require a little bit of a sh- shift of mindset. So compared to some of those traditional models where you might be doing the due diligence that, that Drishi mentioned, mentioned and worried about the risks that you might be inheriting, actually it just sort of works a bit differently especially in the kind of slightly looser contractual commercial sort of JVs I see take the form. Often people are worried about that the industry body entity is is worried about owning the IP or the data or the asset. Actually, what sort of works best is to allow the tech company quite often to develop on its own thing. Quite often there's some really well-built out platforms available that just need configuring and customizing to work for a certain market which is where the special industry knowledge and data comes in but actually you can put guardrails in the contracts around who uses this platform and what they use it for but actually the fights about ip ownership tends to be a little bit less relevant it's got a shift in mindset though isn't it for large corporates traditionally approaching these sorts of deals and thinking that actually i need to own everything i need to protect you know the position it, it's quite a shift to get people comfortable that actually there's a there's a bigger picture um, so. and a different way of doing it it's almost a different sort of type of business objective as well like you may not be in control of how well this thing does because both companies are sort of investing and time and effort and people into this project mm. and it's a project that's not just taking place in-house by the industry player so they're losing some control there but they've got to be able to empower their teams to then sort of take this thing forward yes there are guardrails in the contract but it's not a fee for service type arrangement where you may be getting a tangible outcome yeah. some of it's a bit of an unknown which is why it's a bit of a risk to do again very entrepreneurial though it's a it's a slightly you know more um maybe evolved not the right word but it's it's moving towards looking at how do these tech companies operate what are they doing rather than large corporates who are i i guess used to a more traditional way of of doing deals one thing we 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 often sort of counsel our kind of industry sector kind of client about when they're in the mix is some of the reputational issues around it because sometimes they're partnering with maybe a smaller tech business. It could be a, one of the big tech companies, but actually more commonly it's it's a smaller player who's developed some sort of interesting solution that could meet an industry challenge. As soon as they do that partnership and they invest in it and they plug their know-how and data into it, it could be that they that industry player comes into the crosshairs of people who would be looking to challenge it in some way. So whether that's an IP infringement type issue do they have the rights to the data uh, are there competition law issues around what they're doing because of the the participation of that industry player there's, there, there's an issue there for them to handle so there is still a need i think to do some sort of level of due diligence it might not be in the full corporate sense but knowing who you're going into 
this partnership with doing some diligence on how they develop their tools and data so far. Quite often, they've been developed in-house by really smart engineering teams, but quite often relying a lot on open source data, open source software that might be fine for it in its business. But as soon as you work with it and customize something and even label it with your brand, it could be something that puts you in those kind of crosshairs. So that's something we sort of try and get right from the the get-go. Lou, I know that you've had a bit of experience with this lately as well. You recently worked on a deal for a large corporate that had legacy siloed IT. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure, Annika, that's right. So um, it was a, as you say, a, a very large corporate, lots of legacy IT that had sort of been added to over the years and some of it, you know, very siloed. Um, and their approach to digital transformation was along these more sort of innovative lines. And they found a tech company, um, relatively small tech company that they wanted to work with, that they were excited by the work that they were doing. But rather than just have them in to you know do a project for them and contract to say, build us X, they looked at what they were doing and thought there's a bigger picture here, as Vic was talking about earlier in the market. It's a different market, um, but thought there's a bigger picture here and we could solve something more broadly for the market. And so they went into a joint venture with this tech startup. They put money in and invested into this uh, new company, the joint venture company, in return for which effectively they get their platform built but they also then own you know a piece of that pie if you like because they're the shareholders in this joint venture company so the plan to then license it out this this solution to third parties and and get a revenue stream from it is very appealing and that's that's been a really successful partnership because whilst the background of this large corporate was quite traditional the team that were championing this project were really empowered to kind of drive it forward in a very sort of agile, open mindseted way, if that's even a word, where they weren't constrained by the sort of traditional uh, things that might have stopped them doing that sort of transaction in the past. So it, it was really quite interesting. They, they, the large corporate put a team basically fully in to work with the tech startup and to sort of sit alongside them and build this product together. Um, And I think that level of collaboration is quite interesting too. It's not just, you know, we pick a company, a supplier that we really like and we get them to build it. It's very much a, you know, that sort of idea of collaboration and, and joint venturing to not just do something for their own problem-solving needs, but to look at a a wider, more entrepreneurial sort of revenue share opportunity. That's really interesting as well. Thanks so much, Vic and Lou, for your insights. I think some of the takeaways that perhaps we can have from today are just being aware that these innovative models exist in the market. Large corporates are doing this. It isn't just the tech market that's exploring innovative models. And a way that we often see our in-house clients adding value is that they're aware of these broader market opportunities and how these innovative models do operate. 
I think another takeaway is that it is possible to turn perhaps a cost for your business like software development into a revenue generating venture. The last one is sort of understanding the pros and cons of different deal structures and then putting a recommendation to the business may be invaluable in the medium to long term because once you embark on a particular deal structure, it can be difficult to change direction once the digital transformation process gets going. Lou, Drishi and Vic, that's been a really interesting discussion. Thanks for your time today. Thanks so much for having us. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe, download and share this podcast. We want to make the roadmap as practical and informative as possible for you and your business. If you have any ideas, suggestions or feedback on this or future episodes, shoot us an email at theroadmap at bristos.com or use the hashtag theroadmappod. Thanks for listening and we'll be back with the next episode soon.